The scripture today is from the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament is from Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come make gods for us. Who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt? We do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamations and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They had cast for themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. My other Bible said obstinate, stiff-necked. It's good. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and all of you I will make a great nation. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind. And do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he had planned to bring on his people. The New Testament reading is from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops destroyed those murderers, and burnt their city. 
Then he said to the slaves, to his slaves, The wedding is ready, for those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guest, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Thanks, Mike. Did you notice the good timing the snooks have? Becky leaves from there, Mike comes back from putting the Bible up, and they sat down exactly the same moment. Did you notice that? How many years of marriage did that take? (laughs) Wow. It's 43, really? Oh, wow. Amazing. Well, that's probably simpler than what we're going to be doing today and maybe over the next few weeks. So last week I introduced a a possible sermon series, Please God Who's Right, with a different kind of focus each week and um, a different kind of topic. And this week is the Bible, and so I'm, I'm, I don't know how committed I am to this yet, we'll see how the topics flow, but we're going to talk about the Bible. Please God Who's Right about the Bible. Um, if you have topics that uh, relate to our faith or life kinds of questions and um, you want to hear a little bit about how the scriptures and uh, how we in the church might figure out the question of uh, where's God on this and who's right on this, um, there are plenty of those topics, I think. So if you have one that you'd like... Uh, to delve into, please let me know and I'll, I'll put it on the list. But we'll just start with a simple one right now, the, the Bible. You know, talk about it for a few minutes. Um, I don't think any of us here are not aware that the biggest fights that happen in Christianity, probably in most of the major religions, is about how to understand the sacred texts that we have. What do we do with it? Some, For some, the Bible is the answer book for every question ever. And even if it doesn't somehow name the problem we have today specifically, the answer's there, we just need to find it. For others, they're tired of all the fighting about the Bible and it just seems too much. And although they might have grown up with the Bible, they've run away from it. And some people who have done that are even coming to church and sitting in pews, but they really don't want to get tangled in with discussions or debates around the Bible. Now, 
Of course, today's lectionary scripture readings, where we are continuing on the track of following these Exodus story readings, and we're following Matthew. And I don't know if you've noticed, it's getting a little redundant. Um, in Exodus, we, we have the people going up and down on whether they trust Moses, whether they trust this God, um, and it's going back and forth all of the time. And in the Matthew readings, we just have continuation of stories and parables about what the kingdom of heaven is like, or what it can be compared to. Now, both of those things tell me that one of the very first things the Bible is telling us is that it's not a simple answer book, is it? It's a journey with a struggle, isn't it? The Exodus story is filled with a journey with a struggle. And we're trying to figure out who is this God that we're following. And this God is trying to figure out who are, who are these people I've chosen to be faithful to and build a covenant with. And it's back and forth all of the time. And you know, and if the kingdom of heaven, as Matthew talks about, could be just easily named. Just name it. Why do we need to have all of these stories the kingdom of heaven is like or the kingdom of heaven is compared to? It just brings us into lots of different directions and lots of different complexities. Um, so, the Exodus story today is fascinating. I, I'd like to start you at the very end in verse 14. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Now, how many of you grew up in Sunday school, maybe in Sunday school or somewhere else, thinking that God changes God's mind? Okay. How many of you were taught that God says it once and for all, and that's it. Nothing changes. Okay. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster. Who is this God? And, you know, okay, so let's back up and, and play out the story a little bit here. So Moses is up in the mountain. He's like on this long retreat with God. You know, remember the burning bush and all that? But he's up there for, uh, I think it's 40 days, isn't it? Yeah. And he's up there for a long time. And he's not coming down the mountain and talking to all the people who followed him out of Egypt. And they're on this big journey with not enough food, not enough drink, not good shelter. Um... Not good education for the children. You know? And and he's just... Where's he gone? Maybe he just left forever. Maybe he went on a perpetual vacation. Maybe he found another group of people. You know? They're down there and they're all wondering. And of course, Moses has no idea what's going on down the mountain. Um, but he's talking with God. And God tells him what's going on. Now we hear about it in the story here. They're, they're gathering all this so desperate. They're taking all their valuable jewel, gold jewelry and they're melting it all together so that they can make something to worship. 
another God, since Moses and this other God seems to have abandoned us. And so God, of course, all-seeing, knows what's going on, right? And tells Moses. And God gets all upset. Now, what do you think about God getting upset? Do you think God gets mad? Do you? So it's, you know, this is part of what we've got to delve into when when we look at the Bible is, um, so are we to understand this literally? That this actually, did it actually happen this way? Did God really get mad? Does, does that mean that God has emotions in the same way that we do? What is your picture of this God? Well, you know, I guess it depends on a whole lifetime of perspectives that you might have, maybe what you've been taught, maybe you rejected some things that you've been taught. Um, you know, I have not had a Moses experience. So I don't know this God who gets mad in this way. I know that I get mad. I can imagine that a God who is love, a God who created everything in the universe, to be good, as we hear in Genesis. Do you think this God is infuriated about some of the violence in the world? Some of the injustice in the world? Do you think God's angry about that? And there's really two parts to it here. God getting angry and then God wants to basically come down on the people with wrath. So, there's two parts now. Think about what you, what you can connect to here. So, some of you think that God can get angry. Now, do you think God acts on that anger? You know, when you're angry, right? Do you think it's always good to go and act out of anger? Usually, when you do it, it's a loving thing that happens. When you act out of anger. So, God is threatening to act out of anger and disgust. Is this your God? In the United Church of Christ, one of the sayings we often say, a lot of progressive Christians will say this, is that we take the Bible seriously, but not literally. The other thing that I think would be the predominant understanding of the Bible in the United Church of Christ is that the words of the Bible were not written by God. The words of the Bible were written by human beings on a human journey towards God, trying to figure out what it means to be fully human, trying to understand God's creation and God's call to us, and trying the best they can to tell the stories what their journey is about and how God has interacted with them. So you kind of have a choice here. Either God really gets angry and 
If you look at other parts of the Bible, here he withholds, thanks to Moses. Um, but in other parts of the Bible, think of the flood. You heard of a little flood that happened? Um, God does act. We're told. So we kind of have a choice in our understanding of the Bible. And it's a question of who is right in this world, I suppose, on this. Does God really, did God really do some of these things? Or is this our human best understanding, often flawed, sometimes sinful, as we look to God? In a sense, you've heard about it in psychology, how we project on another, something of ourselves. Is that a possibility that that we see in the Bible that we project on God? Hmm. It's an interesting question. This Exodus story raises so many questions about who God is for us, both what we've been taught and what we might open our hearts and minds to consider this day as we continue to journey to be a full human being headed from whatever it is that holds us in bondage, as we hear about in Exodus, to what it is fully liberates us, to be fully the created human being and the image and likeness of God that we are called to be. I think when you get into the question of the Bible, please God, who's right, the first thing you have to do is commit yourself, if you really care for an answer, to doing a lot, a lot of hard work. We had some good conversations in the Bible in the World uh, discussion group this morning um, about some of this, um, but it takes it takes a lot of time to delve into the context of some of these stories, to understand where they came from. So many of these stories, you'll see this in many of the stories that Jesus tells, were stories that were being told already in the world that Jesus lived in, some of them for generations. And Jesus takes the story and reshapes it with a little bit different message and cast to it, but something that is very familiar to people, and now they see it a little bit differently. And we read those stories, we have no idea that that's the context. And we don't see it at all. So we need to spend a lot more time, I think, maybe reading all through the Old Testament and the Exodus stories and the references to the Exodus story are all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. I referred a little bit to that last week on the Ten Commandments. Um, And there's no simple answers for some of these questions. But it's important for us to put on the surface of our minds and our hearts what we were taught what we're comfortable with with what we were taught, what we're not comfortable with, what we rejected without really knowing why we rejected it except it just didn't sit with us right, and what areas are we still willing to learn even more? Are we willing to delve and put the time in that it takes to study more, to see what others are saying more, to have more conversation with one another? Let's turn for a second to the Matthew reading, which is is equally as baffling and complicated um, 
as some of the elements of the Exodus stories when we try to figure out who God is. All right, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've tried to read ways of explaining this away, but, you know, we're in a church, United Church of Christ, we do our wonderful welcoming statement at the beginning, we talk about extravagant welcome and inclusivity and all of that. And the last verse of this, do you remember it? Many are called and few are chosen. Is that the God you know? God calls many and then says, hmm, okay, Ginny, yes, Karen, no. Um, Oh, Patty, yes, of course. I don't know about Joe, he has too many ideas. Um, Oh, uh, Betty drives too fast, so no. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, is that... Is that your understanding of God? Now, of course, other than saying in the beginning that the kingdom of heaven may be compared, uh, it's not a story directly about God. It's about a, a story, a human story, that people already have some sense and expectation around. Right? That's supposed to help us think about who this God is. Once again, remember, in the please God who is right question, there is a much simpler way, if God wants us to know who is right, just tell us. Why do we need this Matthew story comparing the kingdom of heaven? Because if, if the king is God, and some people say yes and some no, because once you get into is like and comparing right, you're going to have debates. It's like going to an art museum. Any of you like to go to art museums? You know? And one person looks at the painting, let's say, and sees one thing, and the other person standing next to them says, you've got to be joking. There's no hint of that there, right? You know? Well, God, if you just don't tell us straight, that's what's going to happen. We're all going to see it from our own point of view. We might see what we want to see. We might see what we think we're supposed to see. We might see what we were taught to see. We might see the opposite of that because we rejected what we were taught. For many are called, but few are chosen. But if this king is, is God, once again... This king gets enraged. There's other troubling things with this. You know, the king of heaven is... The king, if the king is God, he sent his slaves to call those who were invited to the wedding banquet. I think it was Joe saying to me the other day, I mean, we could do a study where we just took all the references to slaves in the Bible. And you know what you're going to find? that the idea of slavery is never questioned or challenged in the Bible. There is moments in the New Testament where better treatment of slaves is referenced. Right? So how would you like to be in slavery and God says, oh, Joe's in slavery, let's treat him better. You know? Keep him in slavery, though. The Bible is troubling. And I don't think 
it's going to be as simple as figuring out who's right. Like there's a list that can be made. As the Bible and the World Group is realizing, as I've unleashed some of my passion for the Bible in recent times that we've met, the Bible really, I cannot explain it to you. It is a book about the human journey to the height of where humanity can possibly go, to living into the the unconditional fullness of God's love, and somehow in engaging the stories, not a certain verse that can be quoted, but engaging the whole thing. Through that, in study and in prayer and discussion, I have had in my life more insights, more new ways to see who I am, what this creation is about, what the calling for us to do to make this world a better place is about, the call to justice is about, from the grappling with the Bible. The entirety of the Bible, not quoting some passage saying this is the answer to this question or this proves you're wrong or this proves you're right, but engaging with the stories of the Bible in all of their complexity and learning, and I find this can be really hard, learning to be honest about if that's God, that's not my God, and you're reading the Bible, right? I know most of you didn't come out of a Catholic background to me, so it may not trigger any guilt. Or you may not use that word. But there is a part of us, if we grew up with it, that says, no, no, I'm not supposed to say no, this God in the Bible is not my God. Part of us feels bad about that, so we actually move away from it. But like Moses, who's up on the mountain, and he's grappling with God, he's even fighting with God. We need to do that on the journey as well. Whatever your picture of God is, whether, whether you picture God as this person who gets all red-faced and angry, or whether you picture this God as this infinite, amazing, everything that love could be about that imbues the entire universe and universe of universes and is something that empowers every moment of your life. But you don't picture it as a person, whatever. And therefore, in this case, God being angry means it is so against everything that my God is calling us to this amazing love. However it is that you picture God for yourself, it's all fine. But there's no way around the grappling and the doing the hard work to understand. And for me, I have found no better tool than the Bible stories to touch the core of my humanity, the core of who we are as a people, with an understanding of where we've come from and where we are and where we can go. And in the whole Bible, the vision that I get of God for us is so much more amazing than I ever could have dreamed possible.
heights that God knows we can reach is just amazing. But you've got to come back down from the mountain down to earth. You have to be willing to grapple with these stories. You have to be willing to grapple with the fact that some of the stories that help us along the way are filled with their own privilege and prejudices of the time that they came out. But understand still that the human journey of these people has a different context. But down at the depths of who we are in our bones, it's, it's the same journey. It's, it's the same calling. It's the same heartache. It's the same possibility. It's the same doubt. It's the same faith. So today, I have no answer for who's right. Maybe the people who are right about the Bible are the people who continue to grapple with it, who haven't closed the book on all understanding of any passage in the Bible or of the whole Bible, who are open for new insight to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God, to what it means to be a people like the people of Israel, what it means to be the body of Christ, living together in community. What it means to stand for justice and proclaim it here in the church and go out into the marketplace and be allies with those who are vulnerable, who are hurting, who are in unjust situations, who need us, I think being right is about continuing to enter back into these stories, continuing to grapple, continuing to keep the hope alive. We can get to the journey to the promised land of greater love and greater justice for all people.